Hello, this is Tracy Hickman. And I'm Laura Hickman. And our DNA is actually currently orbiting on the International Space Station. So, we are in orbit right now on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From the side door of the Springsteen Sisters Seltzer Water Facility, directly behind the occasional tar pit leak suppression system in the Area 51 food court, it's once again clickbait for the years. Welcome to TalkCast 387, this edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, with absolutely nothing to say, uh, yeah, that's me. I'm the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight, one of the few times we've had uh, the full cast with us, uh, in the Peabody Time Tunnel, sitting at the Sci-Fi Saturday Night Help Desk and Gaming Pavilion, it's our own taciturn technical trouble wrangler, Kriana. And she's back in the Dark Dungeon's autonomic due date stamping service, found behind the covert entrance to the Jumbo Elliott and Barry external watch winding service at Cyborg University's Advanced Studies Library in Piscataway, New Zealand. Welcome, Sombrarian. Dome. Yes? 21st century libraries do not use a date stamp anymore. That's why it's autonomic. I understood that completely. It's digital now. It's all digital. Okay, I'm old. I get it. I'm old. And and, and back from the shadows again, the man who once said the best thing about superhero movies is, um, I don't know, I haven't seen any in a while, is the man who once tried to print 2D photographs on his 3D printer and imploded the universe, our very own futurist and gamer, the guy who likes really shiny stuff, Awake by Java. No, you know what? I'm 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 excited about a superhero movie. Tell me. This Shazam. is new. Shazam. Have you seen the have you seen the trailer for the Shazam movie? I have seen the trailer. It's got yes. um what's his name? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Good job, Java. That's how excited uh, he is. John uh, John Krasinski, is that right? <gasps> uh, it does actually, yes. Yeah. So it's um it looks really funny. It looks really good. And it's and it's kind of the right attitude for Shazam. So I'm 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 kind of excited about it. I'm I'm kind of going to go see it probably. Yeah, well, I'm maybe gonna... maybe sometime before I later see Infinity <laughs> War cuz I still haven't seen that. Have you seen Black Panther at least, Java? I did. I did see Black Panther. Okay, cuz I watched it, was it really great. Uh, not last was... night, but the night before and it was worth seeing, so I watched it. Yeah. It was a good it was a good movie. It was um it, it was fun. I had, 
I have lots of things to say. Yeah, about. we have we could talk a lot, but we and, and we shall this. later on in the show. Yeah, plenty of time. Um, lots of stuff to talk about this week. I don't know. It just seemed like a, a, a huge news week for all sorts of things. Are we getting to the point where now we're ready for news about se- new seasons of shows? Oh, oh yeah. No, you know what it is? It is. It's comic. It, it's Comic Con. Yeah. yeah. Comic Con is going. And on everything right got thrown against the wall, and a lot of it stuck. I was I like, let you kind of go for th- with that until you figured it out. <laughs> that tells you how deep I am into the current projects I'm doing because I did not even notice that it was this late in the month of July. Okay. Yeah, I was doing my, my research and I'm going, okay, SDCC, SDCC. I, I don't care. You guys have to stop. Something else in the universe has to be happening. There's, there's uh, just so much. There's just yeah. so much. And that's where you find out about it. And now we all have to wait until 2019 for all the good stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, we all have stuff that got thrown on the wall that we want to talk about, and uh, I'd lo- I'd like to bring in our guest. Uh, may I introduce to our our listening uh, public, David Dwayne. David, welcome to the show. We lost him. Either we lost him every. Oh no, wait. Hey, sorry. Ah, there he is. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. You know what? Yeah. The forgetting to unmute is a totally a librarian thing. <laughs> 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 because I absolutely that is for those of you who don't know that is my bad habit. I always forget <laughs> for our unmute. Less than casual listeners, she hasn't actually unmuted correctly yet. And we're only 387 shows in. You yeah. know what? Don't <laughs> hey, it, it it'll be it'll be 389. That'll be the show. That'll be the one. Yeah. Uh, it'll be. It might not ever be. <laughs> well, because sometimes there are robots, and that's distracting. Or you know, it's just we like the quiet. Librarians. Yeah. It's a, it's a library kind of thing. I get that. Speaking of libraries, speaking of yeah. libraries, uh, David Duane is an architect, an entrepreneur, a publisher, a journalist, and an educator. He is the co-founder and president of Mouse Books, which had an incredible Kickstarter on what has turned out to be a marvelously interesting idea that Java became involved with. So at this point, Java. <laughs> yeah um so that? <laughs> that was that was good uh david why don't we talk a little bit about what mouse books is um so that you can explain what the whole concept is to those of uh the listeners who haven't heard of it um or uh don't don't keep apprised of the kickstarter ecosystem yeah sure um happy to talk about so, it I'm... what um what is what is a mouse book so a mouse book is essentially a passport or like, let's say a phone sized physical book. And this, um, this idea came to me, I was sitting on a bus, I ride the bus to work every day and I'm looking around and everybody's reading their cell phones. And I was, uh, I happened to be reading a physical book and, um, a couple of observations hit me at the same time. One was that, uh, we've trained ourselves as a society to read almost constantly, um, and we're probably more people are reading than ever right now. Um, but the the 
catches that nobody's who's sitting there reading their phone is probably reading anything good or very few people are. Uh, this is during the presidential election. So a lot of people were probably reading stuff about the campaign. And I, I happened to be reading a physical book. It was a pocket classic. And um, uh, there was a leaf on the interior cover, which said, if you enjoy this book, uh, you'll like this book by Aeschylus or Montaigne or Mark Twain or Kafka or whatever. And so I was looking around again and thinking, well, uh, also, and like another observation is that for whatever reason, classic literature didn't make the jump to the phone. And so I took out, I carry around a small passport sized notebook to write a note about it. And it, very simply, I was holding the physical book in one hand, this little passport sized notebook in the other hand and thought that if you could just get the, the physical book smaller, if you could change the binding from like a perfect binding down to like a staple, if you just get it down to 48 pages um, if you could really make it the size of a phone or a wallet, then uh, perhaps uh, this population that's trained itself to read constantly uh, and I think intuitively knows that what they're reading is kind of junk food, that they would um, they could carry around these books. And then when they're in these moments uh, in their day where they could um, they had a free mo free free time to read I instead of reaching your hand into one pocket and pulling out your phone, you could reach your hand to your other pocket and pull out uh, a physical book. And so that's, um, it's a phone sized book and the, the benefits of it I view as kind of inverse of the way that Steve jobs kind of pitched the iPod is that instead of having 50,000 books available to you, it's just one book. You, so your concentration is kind of fixed on one thing. Uh, it doesn't have a battery. It doesn't break. It doesn't do any of that shit. Like the screen can't crack. Um, and it's cheap. So if you lose it, it's not a big deal. You can just get another one or give it away to somebody. And so that was it. That was the basic premise. It's just a, a small phone size book. And we sell them uh, individually or through subscriptions. Does that so, make sense to everybody? Yeah, it's a pretty concise, I think, explanation. Um, so, and and just to be like transparent here, I, I was a backer of the Kickstarter, and I've, I've been backing the Mousebooks project as much as I can, um, as well as like distributing them to everybody. I've given out pretty much all of the books that I have received, um, except for the Poe one and the Dead. Uh, so. Um, which is a little bit of a uh, something to talk about. You still ha you have a current Kickstarter um, campaign going on. For yeah, so a we've done. Yeah, we've done a couple Kickstarters. We did one to launch the whole idea for the company, and you know, I don't know how much you guys want to talk about Kickstarter, um, but you know, I really view it as a uh, in addition to a platform for raising money. I think about it much more as a platform for raising an audience. And um, so what we really went to Kickstarter for was to build subscribers. And we the first Kickstarter yielded like about a thousand of those people, which is really great. Um, and then we did a Christmas one where we published a little three pack of Christmas books, which is cool. And then um, and it's kind of to your to the spirit of what you were just saying a second ago, Java, where you want to give these things away. You know, like I think one of the great feelings in the world is giving somebody a book. You know, uh, especially as a gift is one thing, but also if it's just like a book of yours that you're passing on to somebody else, cool feeling. So we did the holiday campaign. And then um, right now we are doing um, 
uh, this uh, Edgar Allan Poe campaign, which is the first time we're really zeroing in on an author. Usually we zero in on a theme and build a couple of authors around that theme. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're exploring Poe and, uh, it's been wild, man, you know, like, uh, dome, you work kind of flattering at the beginning, rattling off a couple of, um, uh, uh, kind of professions or something that I dabble in. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um, one of those is not literary. I'm not a very, like an incredibly wide read reader. And so, um, this project for me is a, a huge amount of, uh, exploration also. So before we published this book, I didn't actually know a lot about Poe. Now I know a lot more and I'm totally fascinated. I mean, he's like, uh, he's such a central figure in American literary history. And, uh, it's been, uh, it's been a real pleasure to, to be exposed to stuff like that. So from a consumer's point of view, mm-hmm. and Java, you started off as a consumer, there, there are actually three different ways in which you get to consume these books. You can buy them individually. You can, you can buy them in kind of a, a, a preset package of three different books uh, surrounding a theme or surrounding a subject. Or you, you can actually uh, subscribe and get everything that comes out over the course of a year. Yeah, and what's cool about the subscription piece is that you don't know what you're getting. You know, uh, we we basically function like book DJs, and uh, <laughs> that's and great. So, like for example, this this time around, we did a a series on time was the the issue that we are looking at, and so we sent out um, an H.G. Wells book, a Philip K. Dick book, and a and uh, a chapter out of The Origin of Species by darwin and i mean i had i'm pretty sure nobody saw those books coming java were you surprised when you opened that package i was overjoyed yeah. <laughs> i mean that's my wheelhouse right there so it was it was pretty fun to to encounter those it, especially because one of the cool things about a 48 page book is that it's in a lot of cases it's not the whole story sometimes it is sometimes it's the the whole story or um you know a short story or a collection of short stories but oftentimes it's not the whole book so it's curated um and and so the w- when you said you're you're you know literary djs that's a really interesting thing because you're not just um you know picking books to to send out but you're actually mixing those books together and creating something that's that's highlighting a certain aspect of that literary work yeah, exactly. So, like, one of the first books we put out was Pride and Prejudice, and it was under the theme of refusal. Just to kind of uh, add, a, add a quick example to what he was saying. Um, and so, out of that big book of hundreds of pages, we just edited out the scenes where uh, Elizabeth Bennett is refusing people when they ask her to marry her, you know? And and so, it was it was kind of selective. Usually, we we take chunks that can kind of stand alone, but... I would say in like 75% of the cases, we get the entire work in to the book. So when you, that brings up an interesting point. And I saw uh, some of this in some of the questions, not only on the Kickstarters from uh, consumers, but also on your website. Um, Because you're not, you're taking curated excerpts from a novel or, or certain 
chapters from a novel. How how do you go about? I, it's hard to say how Beginning. you go about making that decision. But yes. Why? Yeah. What brings you to that point where you go? Okay, Kafka is really good, but maybe just chapters two and three. Yeah, gotcha. Um, so we, the, one of the guys, we have four people on our team. Uh, one is a graphic designer, one is a uh, editor, one is a sales guy, and me is I'm the last person. I'm kind of an impresario, and the editor has a PhD in English and teaches. Uh, high school English. And so I think he's used to through the academic process at a university level, but also at a high school level, like sort of cherry picking excerpts out of books that, um, that you can deliver to a, a group of students, uh, that, that can kind of save you time. And every, anybody's kind of gone to graduate school, I think has had that experience where you just got to read a chapter out of a book. Um, so he is the, he's the, the the person on the team responsible for picking those specific excerpts but i'll tell you what one of the we one of the weird and kind of interesting things that happens again and again in this project is that we're constantly stumbling upon or sort of exhuming really interesting things that have happened in literary history or like you almost feel like you're you're finding patterns or ghosts from literary history and um, that have to do with this length. I think there's something about, about you know, we usually the, our texts are between 10 and 15,000 words. And um, it, it seems like a kind of a magic range that there was a lot of work that was produced in this, in, in this zone. And, um, or there were longer works, like you can think of Dickens immediately or... Um, Uncle Tom's Cabin, for example, that were produced in serial fashion and then released in magazines uh, in about this length. And so we kind of tap into that, uh, which I didn't expect going into this, but I discover all the time. Poe is a great example. Poe was obsessed with this length. Uh, he had this huge, or he had he had pretty forward-thinking theories about how humans were losing their capacity for uh, retaining their attention. And so he thought that the short story was the ultimate, uh, or uh, like appropriate for that moment. And, and now we find that, that attention spans are so short. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, yeah. And Poe was actually realizing that when he was writing, have you found, and this is a question that just kind of occurred to me as you were talking that when you're curating a small part of a larger, uh, of a larger piece of work, have you gotten any feedback from your your public saying that kind of spurred me to read the entirety of that novel? Oh yeah, totally. Um, and there have been people on our own team that have done that too. You know, I mean, I hear a lot of weird stuff. Let me just say one thing about <laughs> like uh, to go back to Kickstarter again. Sure. The very first thing you learn doing a Kickstarter campaign is that people are super fucking weird. absolutely correct i love them but man uh i've heard all kinds of stuff you know especially with this poe campaign there are a lot of really interesting characters i've heard a lot of stories about tattoos and uh all kinds of things (laughs) poe related (laughs) um but no i think it gets scary that's for sure 
Yeah, there was there was a like it's funny they mentioned this dome. There was an idea. So I used to live in Washington D.C. and there's a metro system there, and uh, they give away a free daily newspaper. And I ro- rode that train for a couple of years. And there was a there was a kind of a, a predecessor idea to Mouse Books, which was called the Metropolitan Library. Um, and it was the idea that instead of giving me a free newspaper on my way in, could you just give me like a chapter of Moby Dick? <laughs> and uh, and then I could just read that on the, my like twenty five minute commute, and then just leave it on the seat. And you could, in a day, a well coordinated day, you could turn the whole metro system into his library. You know, have all these chapters floating around. And um, I tried to pitch it to the Washington Post, and they were not keen on it. Especially after they got bought by Bezos, I was thinking, man, just. Give me one chapter of Moby Dick and stamp like it'd be like this <laughs> buy from Amazon on the back. And I thought it would be real, you know, real hit, but it went over uh, terribly. So um, in addition to the to the books and the subscription model that you have and the Kickstarters, um, Mouse Book Club is a thing that is available to people who are subscribed. Um, what What's that and how does that function as a support? Yeah, so, I, uh, all right, it's interesting right now. Okay, so all of a sudden, we're publishers, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a weird feeling. We didn't ask anybody to be publishers or for permission or anything like that. We just started printing books, and suddenly we we're publishers. So we have an opportunity to sort of think about what that means in, you know, uh, 2018 and moving forward. And, you know, the the first book we published uh, was The Dead by James Joyce. And... Um, I read it going into it. I knew that, uh, it was, uh, is going to have one of the best endings of any short story of all time. And, uh, true enough, the ending was really interesting, but I missed a whole bunch of different layers of that. And our editor, Brian had to sit down and like explain it to me over the phone. And I just got to thinking, I'm like, wow, I think there's a real opportunity here to basically pair like a layer of analysis with each one of the books we put out so that people who read these books can, um, in addition to reading, go through, like try to extract even more value out of it. And especially if we're as a company, you know, kind of leaning towards a subscription model, we want to, we want to build a relationship with these people, a long-term relationship. And so, um, the way that we're, we conceptualize our relationship with our, our audience is that it's, it should start with a book, like with the purchase of the book or when we give you a book, you know, like we've given away shitloads of these books and, um, and then, uh, we sort of help, uh, like we make lots of tools, put lots of tools in your path so that you can, um, you can uncover some of the, the details about the person who wrote it, their time, uh, what's interesting about that, ask yourself questions about it. And so, um, so we put together a podcast and, um, we've, we've just started really getting in the rhythm of it. It took us a while to get the format down. Uh, have you listened to the podcast Java? Uh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think of it? Do you think it's I, interesting? I think it's super interesting. Um, <clears throat> do you think it's too long? Do you think 50 minutes is good or 55 minutes? I think, okay, so I listen to all kinds of different podcasts. It's one of my primary uh, consumption 
factors. Um, and I think that there's a lot there. Uh, I think that it's, it's really great. I wish that there was a way for me to like skip to a certain point and do, cause I, cause I might want to listen to the analysis as I'm reading and then be able to pause it. Or I might want to listen to the audiobook, or I might like, you know, skip around. Huh. Um, do you think we should, um, do you think in the, the intro, we should just like rattle off where the chapters in the podcast are like skip to 20 minute, the 20 minute mark. If you want the interview, skip to the 20, 30 minute mark. If you want this, I don't know. I mean, I listen the, the longest podcast I listen to is, um, the hardcore history. Yeah. The Dan Carlin Which, thing. Dan, yeah. And, uh, and so that, I can listen to in short chunks and as long as it's the only thing I'm listening to at a, at any given time, I can keep track of what's going on. Um, but yeah, well, I let's mean, take, I, let's I take consumed... a step back though. And just uh, let me ask you this. Do you think it makes sense conceptually to have it as part of the offering? Yes. And do you think we should just give it away? Absolutely. And... Yes, yeah. absolutely. I think that, it, I think that it, there's a lot of, especially, the analysis stuff is really worthwhile and helpful in understanding what's going on in some of the the pieces that you've you've printed. Um, I mean, I when we finished the first one, the first one was on Frederick Douglass. Mm -hmm. um, and to just give you guys who probably haven't listened to it a overview, so uh, our editor ends up uh, writing these blog posts, and they're really interesting. I think Brian's blog posts are really interesting, and they're short; they're five six paragraphs. But he reads them out loud <laughs> and uh it's interesting the second thing is that i'm like an interview journalist that's one of my uh hats i wear and so i go and interview people so for the frederick douglas one i went to the smithsonian uh has his house as a museum in washington dc i went to the house and interviewed the curator from the smithsonian runs a house and um and then for we we podcast our own book club because just a bunch of people that sat or read the book, book sitting around asking questions about it can extract a lot of information and ask each other, uh, you know, typical questions that occur to a lot of people. And then um, the very final portion of it is that we have a reading uh, out of the book that comes from one of our audience members. And so all that stuff together is about 50 minutes. And it has a kind of a, I think it's got a unique aesthetic, frankly. I think it's kind of interesting. Um, but uh, after I finished it, man, I was thinking, shit, if I was a high school kid, I would just mine this thing like crazy. If I had to do like a report on Frederick Douglass, right? You know? Yeah. Like, it's got everything you need, you know? Yeah. And so I think eventually. Uh, well, but to be good. fair, and Java can, can naysay me because he's the teacher or he was, um, he was taught high school. I work with high school kids, and sometimes it takes giving them all of that background and saying, okay, here's what you should look for. Now go look for it. Mm -hmm. They get more into it, and sometimes they get more out of um, out of a piece of literature if you say, okay, look for these things, and then they read it. As opposed to them feeling overwhelmed because they're like, okay, I have to read 50 pages of Moby Dick and it's in this weird, like, ancient English and I hate it. 
and I'm overwhelmed, so I'm just going to stop. Yeah. Okay, read 50 pages of Moby Dick and look for the way that he uses these three literary things. And they're like, okay, and then it becomes a puzzle and they think it's awesome, but... I think I think that the the podcast is really interesting, and I I love that it's that it's free, um, you know it's it's just it's just available, um, and then, and, and it's a really good, um, I mean I've I've gone through all of these these books so quickly um, they sit in my pocket for about three days before I need a new one, um, so, you know the 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 podcast is is really helpful. Um, I wish there was, there were more of them. <laughs> yeah. Working on that pal. But the podcast also works as, as kind of reverse engineered marketing in that if somebody wants to learn about what it is you guys are doing and how it is you guys are doing it. Um, the one that I've listened to, uh, which was, uh, the last one that just got posted was just kind of, I'm listening to it and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, now I really want this. Oh, good. So, I mean, it, it does play very well that way as well. So, I mean, you you guys have really got your finger right where it needs to be with that. It's, and it's very relaxed, too, and I like that. Well, I'll tell you, uh, there's one other project that we're working on right now that you guys will probably find interesting. We're working with a living author for the first time. And this, uh, woman, this woman's name is Yotasha Womack. And she's an author from Chicago here. And she... Um, she wrote the book on Afrofuturism and uh, like the title of the book is Afrofuturism. And she did a, um, she did a small serial in the past of fiction. And now she, like we engaged her. I just know her through other channels. And so I was at a conference the other, uh, like a couple of months ago and I saw her and I was like, Hey, what are you up to? And she said, Oh, I'm pitching ideas to publishers right now. And I'm like, well, pitch me an idea. I'm a publisher, you know, <laughs> and nice. so she, she's like, what are you, you know, what are you talking about? And so I, you know, walked her through the book process and she's like, oh, this is really cool. And so we're going to do like a four pack or like a, a little box set. Um, and it's a, it's a story about people traveling through time in this one specific neighborhood in Chicago uh, called Bronzeville. And it kind of takes place between the fifties right now and then like the 2050s or 2060s or something like that um and everybody's kind of traveling through this painting it's i don't want to give too much away but um it's been fun for her or like i think it's interesting uh for us to uh to work on and one of the reasons that we chose it is because um we have the luxury i guess right now of being selective about who we work with. And it's it's not necessarily about like trying to find the best person coming out of the best writing college in the country or something like that. It's more or less like where's the what are the most interesting conversations people are having? And I think that um, something like that for us, like sci-fi coming out of the black community, uh, is a really, really interesting um uh, concept, uh, or, or, uh, it's, it's really, really interesting content. Um, so now the, the, the fun part for us is going through that whole, 
uh, sort of round of analysis, like are applying the same level of analysis to something that you would apply to somebody like Henry David Thoreau or Frederick Douglass or Kafka to this living author and her her context, her world, what are the things she cares about? What are, um, you know, uh, what are, what is the nature of this genre? How how does how's, how are people thinking about Black Panther and uh, stuff like that? It it kind of shines a new light in the the way in which you've been handling things and says to you, yeah, it's the same, but not quite. So yeah, so Java, how do you think our audience is going to reply or respond to that? We're not going to put it in the normal feed of things because I think people are kind of expecting classic books and stuff, right? Um, but I think we're going to offer it as kind of like a sideline, and we're going to try to use the main line. We call the the sort of the classics are the main line, and then we're going to sort of insert this into the main line to try to sort of chain whip squares, as Hunter Thompson would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that that's good. I mean, it's one of those. I mean, we every every year um, on the show we we talk about. Um, you know, the, the awards for science fiction and what's happening in them and how, how things are changing and not changing and, you know, what the, what the future looks like for science fiction and and where those voices are coming from. Um, and how we can help people, uh, find a voice, um, by, by promoting them through that type of, through through the awards and 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 other um, vectors, I think this is really interesting, and I do think that it will be interesting to see how some of the squares react. Mm-hmm. I, I I I think that it, one of the great things about the literary community is is that um, people who are in literature and are open to literature especially if they're reading classic literature even if it's in a digest form like like mouse books um the more you read the more open you are to other opinions and other worldviews. so hopefully it'll open some people up what do you think the big difference is between uh people who are on the outside of sci-fi and, uh, like, what do you what do you need to do to get people to cross the threshold from looking at sci-fi from the outside to 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 taking the plunge and trying to honestly explore the the genre? That's the kind of thing that <clears throat> Vonnegut fought against his entire life, <clears throat> screaming, "I'm not a sci-fi writer," and um. What happens is uh, with readers, they're constantly, the mainstream publishers constantly need a pigeonhole. Mm-hmm. Readers don't care that much about it. If, if I'm some, going to argue that some people yes, do. they do. Some people do. Some people really do care just, and just get like very some people, mad. Just, just like some people seek out, you know... Uh, westerns or um uh, spy thrillers or uh you know different types of romance novels there there's there are people who define their 
um, reading experience by the genre that they connect to. Uh, and I think that that's always going to be true because but, you're looking for a predictable experience. Yeah, right. yeah. I and think so, you can find something predictable, not predictable like plot-wise. Or if you find something that has elements of a familiar genre that they're really into, like if you have a mystery reader and they say, "I really want to expand, but I don't know what." to expand into if you can find them something that's a mystery and it happens to be set on a spaceship or you find them a mystery and it happens to be um there happens to be a ghost i think that that kind of melding of the familiar with the, with a little bit of what's new gets people intrigued but it's not so much, I think, predictable as it is comfortable. Yeah, well, well yeah, I mean, that's like what I to, meant by predictable is to give a personal to give a personal example. I mean, like I can't tell you the number of books that I read growing up that were fantasy novels about a tall, redheaded, outcast um, <laughs> because that was how I identified. And there ju- were just an awful lot of, you know, uh, characters like that in fantasy fiction. So I was easily able to find those characters in the fiction that I wanted to read. Um, and so some people are, are looking for that, but I think that when you, when you start to introduce them to other, as long as they enjoy being challenged, then you're going to find that they'll react positively to a new. This was frustrating. This was frustrating about the genre piece with me. And actually Brian's blog post for the Poe thing talks about how genre is kind of the tragedy of Poe is that he was he was really um interest he was really able to create these kind of novel experiences um with his writing but then that those experiences started falling into the channels that became then predictable genres um i think that the for me the action hero movies or the the comic book movies have kind of fallen in that same way and i don't think it's necessarily how comic books function i think that the authors uh, and the story creators tend to tend to develop a lot more richness but then you go to the movie and it's just another car chase you know and it's another 40 minute climax and then i think um Makes them less enjoyable for me, at least personally. Uh, did you, uh, Zambrarian, did you, were you the one who just saw Black Panther? Yeah, I'm the one who just a couple nights ago saw Black Panther. And so, did it, was it predictable? Did you? In some ways, yes, but I, it was the same kind of thing. It was, it followed what I expected of a superhero movie, which is a genre I like, but it also, um had surprise it's like you've got a cookie and you like the cookie and you know you like that cookie and it's definitely got chocolate chips in it and that's awesome and then you take a bite and there are toffee bits in it and that's surprising and new and as long as you're not allergic to nuts it's a really happy surprise (laughs) and i think that that i think that for readers um 
that's a thing. They know they they know they like the cookie of good writing. And then you've got the chocolate chips of what they're familiar with. And then, woo, surprise, there's toffee. And maybe you're allergic to nuts, and so you stop eating that cookie right away. And maybe you're not sure if you like toffee, so you try a little more. And maybe you really like toffee, and you eat the whole thing because you just found out you like toffee. And I'm going somewhere with this simile, and I've lost <laughs> mostly, mostly I'm thinking about cookies, and I've got yeah. I was going to say I'm just really hungry now. Thank you. And whether or not I have Heath bars, and if we can make some toffee. <laughs> so and if uh, are, I'll be down tomorrow to get some. What, David? What for our audience? Um, like, where should they go to connect to what you're doing? And then, is there anything we should be looking for in the future that um, is worth? paying attention to specifically i mean we're the afrofuturism with womack uh, that that's already like high on my list but yeah it'll be cool and actually um she seems like she would be a totally awesome person to have on this podcast by the way yeah i was oh, thinking absolutely of <laughs> uh yatasha womack is one of the most enchanting ladies you've ever talked to in your entire life uh the only sad thing is that you're not in the same room because she has this like she's always wearing like metallic lipstick and um has this interesting outfits and hair and stuff um but uh she just like i i saw her yesterday we were uh uh she just got back from a conference at the library of congress where they were talking about um i don't know about you all but i wish more dudes we interviewed had awesome metallic lipstick yeah (laughs) uh but they were talking about like uh it was a it was an exploration of mars conference and they brought together like a bunch of um, artists and uh, people who have done fantasy work on Mars, and then a bunch of like scientists from NASA, and had them sit in the same room and like meditate. Uh, it was really the way she describes it is pretty stunning. Um, but no, she would be great. The, yeah, I I like, rock that. That's I I think that the uh, in terms of what to watch coming next is. It, it kind of plays off that last comment we were just having about genre. Like I think, um, from a from a marketing standpoint, the easiest thing logic would tell us to do is to to put in things that are predictable and enjoyable. You know, to publish like I don't know, um, uh, more mainstream books. But I think what or things that have like a good track record of sales, I guess, or that are still popular. But I think what we're going to try to keep doing is to um, to try to keep surprising you, you know, and and try to keep that as the edge, uh, as the the kind of unpredictability. Um, yeah. So I think that's where we're going. And you know, another thing that we're going to try to do, I'll, I'll, I will open the kimono just a little. Because yeah, I'm interested to know what you guys think, and nobody's listening to the show anyway. <laughs> Just kidding. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, is that um, uh, the uh, we want to mess around with philosophy a little bit and try to experiment and see if we can get uh, American adults to read philosophy? Excellent. <laughs> yes. I'm not uh, hugely optimistic, but we'll see if we can make it happen. I mean, that's where that's where you know you definitely need that support there because, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna publish uh, some Heidegger, that's gonna take a little bit of analysis to. to we really almost, oh man, we almost did it on this for the time series. 
Mm-hmm. We were going to put out a book, a book by Berkson. Uh-huh. And we just got cold feet right at the end. Like we thought it was uh, going to be like the Darwin is, even though Darwin's like literature is really beautiful. Uh, it's still kind of boring, you know? And uh, there's a, there's a funny dirty little secret here is that the, that text was like uh, two paragraphs too long. <laughs> and so I had to go through chapter four of the origin of species and cut out two paragraphs, you know? Right. Um, and so it was fun editing Darwin and like really looking and saying, oh, is this paragraph really necessary for this argument? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, don't tell anybody I did that. No, uh, it's a bad the, idea. The, um, uh, but we're going to, I think we'll, when we do the uh, philosophy piece, we'll do it kind of like we did the Poe thing where it'll be a standalone. And we'll do like this obsessive celebration of this author. And mm-hmm. then we'll do a kind of a, well, sort of, well, uh, like it just takes a lot of trust. The bottom line is that it takes a lot of trust with the community to get them to sort of get out of their comfort zone and read something like that. And I think right. we're, like we've talked about, I think we're going to create red pens and like, you know, we made this whole, whole like little reading guide. You know, mm-hmm. like, do, you, do you get anything out of that? That little pamphlet? It's like how to read. Yeah. That, yeah. Do you find that as condescending, or do you think it's actually kind of useful? No, I, I include it with some of the books I hand out. Yeah, um, I've got. I mean, I, I've got friends who are very literary, and some who aren't. So, um, you know, it, it, it's useful. So, Java, take a take a minute and and explain to the listeners this whole sub context here of it's small, it's accessible, it's shareable. I, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Like they're they're. I mean, because we were talking before the show, and you were saying, "Yeah, I got a bunch of them, and I think I've given them all away at this point." Right. Well, I and, mean, I, and how does that happen? Why does that happen? Is it is it the format that makes it work, or 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 what's sure. go, what's going on? Because this seems like it's actually an important part of the process. Yeah. Well, I mean, I. I've gotten a, a number of books, um, and the one of the things that I, I mean, I, I always have one in my pocket. I all I always do. It's it's part of my everyday carry kind of uh, habit. I grab one out of the box I made to hold them, and uh, and it goes in my pocket. And I I keep it in my pocket until I've I've read it pretty much all the way through it, maybe once or twice if it if i if i need to or or um if i'm getting something out of it um but the the best part about it is if i am in the middle of it or if i haven't finished it or or you know if i have finished it it's really easy to pull it out when i'm having a conversation with someone and say oh you need to look at this um this is this is what i've been thinking about recently um because you we've all had that conversation where we say to the person that we're talking to, "Oh, I have this book that you need that you need to read. Um, I have this thing that I've been I I read or I just finished or I am reading. You need to read it." Right now in the in the social zeitgeist, it's enagrams. Everybody's talking about enagrams, and I abs- absolutely refuse to read it. Um, <laughs> enneagrams, enneagrams. I don't remember. Um, but I mean, it's the, awesome that you're saying that. Like, I've got. I'm just like fist pumping in the air thinking that you're doing this out there. Um, you know, for I, 
I, in the first round of books that we put out, we literally put a note in the back that said, if you give this book to somebody else, I think we, we, we made a mistake that we said, like, take a picture of it and put it on online and then we'll send you a new book. We just just said, we'll just send you a new book, which is what we're doing for the poke campaign, uh, where we send you this copy of the Raven immediately because we pre-printed them. And then if during the campaign you give it to somebody, we'll just send you a new one. And that should just be our kind of standing policy in mouse that if we have any of the book left, like any copies of the book left and you give your copy away, we'll just replace it. Because it's like to kind of your point earlier, um, it's like marketing. You know, what's better marketing than word of mouth? You know, where somebody is like giving something to somebody else and is that worth like 60 cents? Or whatever? Well, it's actually better than word of mouth. It's actually word of eye. Yeah. I mean, it's word of possession. Here's this book. I just finished it. I loved it. Tell me what you think. Boom, yeah. it's done. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Usually, usually it's more along the lines for me. It's been, I'm having a conversation. There's something relevant in the conversation to what I've been reading. And the, because it's in my pocket, I can take it out and I can share it. And I can, if I need to, or if it makes sense, I can give it to that person. Um, Do you think it's relevant in the conversation knowing that because it's, it's on your mind? It's going to be useful. I'm sorry. Do you think it? Do you think it comes up in the conversation because it's in your consciousness? Like you've been reading it that day, you've been reading Whitman that day, and you're like, "Oh man," you know, like Absolutely. all of a sudden Whitman just comes out. So Absolutely. that's great. Like think about think about. Uh, let's kind of circle back to the origin of the whole thing. Think about the phone, and think about. I guess it's in some way like forwarding somebody an article. But it's not at all like forwarding somebody. <laughs> it is, but it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's a much more human experience, you know. It's a tactile experience and one that, you know, um, electronics are good for some things. Um, I mean, I have enough ebooks to to kill a neutron star. I also have five or six shelves right in front of me right now filled with books and I treasure those books. Those are my treasures. And these are like little treasures and, and they're, they're, they're kind of the things they're shareable treasures. There you go. That's what they are. <laughs> That's a, that should be our tagline. Uh, I should send you guys <laughs> some like you, you're more than welcome to, um, if you, you know, give me a physical mailing address and I'll dash off some books to you guys. You check them out. Well, you know, as we talk about it, we could we could drop some at conventions, uh, the next couple of conventions that we're at, just to go check this out. Yeah, or just leave them around. Yeah, <laughs> definitely do that. Yeah. Hey, you know this this has been a very cool conversation about uh, a cool project, and it's it's one of as as I read your bio. You've been in the middle of cool projects for a while. You've been doing them for a long time. And and the latest cool project is is co-founder and president of Mouse Books. Uh, and David, thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. Because I don't know whether you realize it or not, but we've been going at this for an hour. <laughs> yeah, man, that, yeah, that was fast. That was that was, fast. It was a lot of fun. And I look forward to... Uh, Look forward to the next conversation. And and I look forward to seeing what comes next out of Mouse Books. Hey, Kriana, do we have time to do a little bit of, uh, a little, just a little bit of news? 
I don't care. You tell me. What do you say, Javi? You you in the mood for a little bit of news, real quick? Uh, I've got. You had my finger on the button for the music, but then you like you you (laughs) zagged when you were supposed to zig. When I'm supposed to zig, yeah, I know that. There's just so much news coming out of San Diego. So, like, can we talk? Can we talk about um, uh, Orville and uh, Discovery? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Did uh, you see Discovery uh, trailer teaser for season two? I did not. I did read about it though. And, okay, um, uh, yeah, that'll be posted in this week's post. Yeah, uh, it's, it's really. Uh, I had I had actually somebody uh, hit me up on Facebook. One of my people that I used to work with, and she went, "Did you see it yet?" And I went, "Yes." Uh, it's. Uh, it's taken a nice little twist. You know what? I think I think the way that I I'm viewing that, and I again I haven't seen the trailer yet, but um, I'm kind of viewing their attitude towards season two as, man, people really like the Orville. Yeah, they did. And I also think that the 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 teaser for the Orville is is a little bit like, man, we're like a real science fiction show. And they kind of are. <laughs> and so they're both kind of gravitating towards their maybe not what wasn't their initial kind of con- self-concept for the for right. what the show was going to be. Um, and that and I think that in both cases, it's a positive mood move um, because, you know, it lets the dis- discovery be a little bit more um, campy, a little bit more self like the best episode in, in Discovery's first season was the one. It was just a time episode, right? It was the one where they kept going. It was Groundhog Day. Oh, they Day. kept they kept looping through that. that yeah, was, that, that was one of the best shows of the season. Uh, and it had the, the funniest character in Star Trek history. Yeah, Harry Mudd. Yes. Yeah, and and that was on that because it felt a little bit silly and weird, and also you know it still had the, all the gravitas and the dr- dr- drama that you know uh, Star Trek exudes now nowadays um but it was also a little bit a little bit easier to follow it was a little bit more monster of the week than the overarching uh dramatic situation so and then orville is is kind of you know saying oh well yes we also make fart jokes but you know they've gotten very very genre-esque very quickly well that that whole episode about um the gender of the the child Mm-hmm. Um, was man, that was tough, difficult to deal with. Um, good, good writing, uh, and and it made you question where you are on the on the on the side of of what's what. How are we going to approach this issue as humans? Which is what good science fiction does. It makes you, you know, look at your own beliefs and and then. While you it know, entertains you at the same time, and, and Orville's been doing a great yeah. job of that. Yeah. So so I'm really excited to see what's coming from both of those shows. And I think the the trouble is, I think, are we waiting till 2019 for Orville, or is that coming back this, this... I believe it's coming back September. Okay, cool. Because it really deserves it right now. I mean, The Magicians isn't coming back until 2019. Right. Um, like, there's and just the last list of shows. Magicians was, eh. Yeah, but they, the the, the, the last season of the magicians was awesome. The 
and and the, they turned everything upside down at the end of the last season. So it's yeah. uh, it's scary all it's a, fairies. <laughs> so I mean, I love scary fairies. Yeah. Sorry. Um, sorry, that's fine. You're entitled to tonight's show: chocolate chip toffee cookies and scary <laughs> fairies. <laughs> Um, Doctor Who panel was, uh, saw the the conversation about how Tennant heard about uh, Jodie Whittaker as the yeah. Doctor. It's really cool. It was a good story. It was it's a good story. It's getting a lot of play, and I think it's making uh, Jodie Whittaker's arrival that much better for everyone. You know, because the 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 whiners and complainers are pretty much shutting up at this point. The news that very few people caught was that Joss Whedon has agreed to become a part of a Buffy reboot. Uh, yeah. Or a Buffy continuation. They're not Something. sure which yet. Who knows? That's that's proto-news, and I don't pay attention to it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Buffy. Uh, no, I, I, no. It's, but, you know, you put two and two together, and it's actually an oh man. Because, yeah. you know... For years, everybody said, yeah, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And now the money's in place. The writers are in place. And the producer's in place. So, yeah. I Of all the things that could happen, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Good Omens. Um, lots of stuff coming out about that because it's, it's in a primary marketing push. But... Um, it's it that looks really good david tennant and uh that other guy <laughs> um uh, sheen mark sheen matt sheen um yeah uh so so that's that looks really good um mcu stuff i don't know did you end up seeing uh the the big everybody dies marvel comics movie yet Mm-mm. Nope, and it has been ruined for me, which is because I don't really care. <laughs> Did I just ruin it for you by saying no? Everybody dies. No, I already, I already heard it. I already heard okay. that. Every, you know, whatever, half of whatever, ha- but half the, the Marvel universe dies. But you know what? Here's here's the problem that that I have. Like, I just wait to watch Marvel movies because I don't care enough anymore. There's just too much. There's too much out there. Three movies a year movies a year it's it's gotten to the point where i am at literally there's so much out there that i just have to say to myself i look in the mirror and i go self do you want to see this in a theater or not yeah and more often than not the answer is not i i still haven't seen the solo movie yeah me either because one I'm movie a year, there. one movie a year is too much for Star Wars. I've 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 come to that realization. Like, I don't care about Star Wars when I'm getting it all the time. So, just like I don't care about Marvel because I'm getting it all the time, and I don't care about uh, Home and Garden shows because they're constantly on. I don't. I have no investment. I don't. Are you ready to see your fixer upper? That's all I want to know. <laughs> Excuse me. We are not a fixer-upper podcast. <laughs> we are yeah, a good not. bones podcast. And that is just the way it is around here. <laughs> well, you know, next week when we have some more time, we're going to delve into 
a little bit more depth about uh, the uh, September new television seasons. Well, and not only that, but like after this week, everybody. Oh, the will... cat has things to say about that. Apparently, <laughs> did um, you hear? Yeah. yeah. Did, after after San Diego is completely done and all the all the fervor is is died down, um, they will be able to spend some more time going into it. So that's a plan, which that means is a plan. It's a good plan, and I think it's a very good plan. And, and we're wrapping plan. coming up on show number four hundred, in which we're going I, to all take a long look back at this strange road we've been on for the past. Is 10 that what years. we're doing for four hundred? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We are. All right. We are. I've, I've I've sent out a couple of invitations, and we'll we'll see who's willing to come back on. Cast uh, but- meeting over right now <laughs> that we yes. just had. Play play the end theme, Brianna. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, King Comic Con, Plastic City Comic Con, booksandblues.com, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you have a free moment, take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Family. Now on Amazon and Amazing stuff can be found in Robinson's blog. Our outro means to write about making me cry. There is nothing found on the thanks to our kids tonight, David Dwayne and Malcolm. Thanks so much to the gang for joining us tonight. Everybody's not coming to see you the summary. And from the rope hills of grain, straw fish, appreciate Java, Stone Say, very interesting, here in the Slavson, joining the adventure. Enjoy the chaos. I know.